Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. I want to just, we've got a real special treat because Tracy is going to, you can just come up back up here, Tracy. Somebody (laughs) ought to get her to the pulpit. Um, But I want to, the very first time I ever met Tracy, well, the second time I met Tracy, first time was in a parking lot in Charlotte. (laughs) And uh, early on a Sunday morning, that's a whole different story. I'm not going to get into it. But the first time I, I had her come up here to Raleigh 25, almost, I don't know, 25 years ago, and she was sharing with a bunch of young people, and she started sharing this story. I'll never forget it, because as a farm boy, I know what an axe can do, you know, an AX axe, uh, because I used to uh, cut trees with an axe, and my dad was very uh, insistent that I know how to cut uh, a tree correctly and how to swing an axe correctly. And she was sharing this story about how she'd lived on the landfill in Manila. Yeah, she lived there. That was her residence, a stinky landfill. And she was ministering to all these people that were living on the landfill. And one of them, a young man, had an axe that he'd found, uh, and he would use it to cut free garbage because they would take certain parts of the garbage and sell it, scrap. And he had this handy axe, which was quite coveted. Except if you've never been trained on how to wear an, uh, use an axe, and you've not been trained to wear shoes, and you don't have shoes, um, you know what happens when you swing an axe and you do like this, and you hit between your big toe and the next toe? It splits your foot all the way up to your ankle. And Tracy had found this guy, the infection had already set in, and she tells the story about how she, you know, didn't have the medicine. This guy might die from gangrene. And she just prayed, and the Lord immediately healed the guy right there instantly. And I go, okay, now I'm in the presence of somebody that has signs and wonders. There we go. It, she was telling it kind of like I, I cleaned a scab. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of her attitude. Tracy has seen resurrections of the dead. If any of you go, you mean like real resurrections? Yeah. But one. just one, but it, I don't know about you. How many of you've had one? <laughs> just one. We love Trey. Tracy's like Brenda and my uh, younger sister. She really is. Welcome her, Antioch. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, you, I, I think a lot of you have already met Mariah McLaughlin. She's here from Mozambique and visiting us for a few days. And, but I'd like also to introduce Nathalie Hatch. Wave your hand. She, she hastens. Nathalie uh, is our kind of human resource admin director, and uh, she works in our offices in, in, in California. It's kind of my right brain and half my left keeps me on track and sane and out of jail. And um, it's, it's good to be back with you guys. I, I really enjoyed, I, I've been here a few days, and you, you guys know uh, Andrew Haas. He had his 50th birthday celebration on Friday. Yay! 
And I just loved how you guys gathered together to, to celebrate your brother and, um, and just how you loved on him. You love really well. And you know, Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples, not by your programs or your facilities, but do you love one another? And it's what has attracted me to, uh, to you guys is just, you love well. And, um, and that's a good thing, and that's how we want to draw people to the Lord. So I want to begin with, um, I had a weird experience last night. I had a dream about a dream, okay? And do, does anyone know what day it is today? It's Pentecost. It's Pentecost. So I have this dream about a dream, and I get up to have breakfast, and Nathalie comes down to the kitchen, and she goes, you know what? I had a dream about a dream. Isn't that weird? And then in my room where I'm staying at the jellies, I'm looking up on, on the bureau, and they have a painting of a painting. It's the same painting on top of each other. And I'm going like, God, I, I still don't know what's going on, except it's the day of Pentecost. It's a day of witness. Two is the number of witness, right? And, and I just, I still don't know kind of what he has in store for us today. But I want to tell you about this dream. Actually, it's a a dream about a friend of mine who had a dream. His name is Bide, B-Y-D. He's an Indian guy, an engineer, and he worked with us for a brief season in Mozambique. And he's a very typical engineer in that he's, he's stoic, he's, um, he's very deliberate, he's, he's very precise. And he went home for a break to spend some time with his family and friends in India. And he got back, and I go, well, Bide, how did it go? But as soon as he walked into the room, I could tell something had changed. His whole demeanor was different. He was, he was just radiant. I, I felt like if I turned off the light, he would glow in the dark. You know, and I go like, Bide, what's happened? And he says, well, I had this dream while I was home, and I, I dreamt I was taking up into heaven, and I met with my sister. And the weird thing is, Bide's an only child. He has no sister. So I, I met with my elder sister, and she comes to me and says, Bide, God loves you so much. And he goes, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a missionary. Yeah, I know God loves me. And she goes, no, you don't, you don't have a clue. You have barely scratched the surface of the depth and the breadth of his love for you. Bide, you need to enlarge your heart for more of his love. And by the way, tell mom and dad I forgive them. And he wakes up. So this dream kind of haunted him, and I'm dreaming last night about this dream. And uh, so Bide, as the story goes, Bide um, goes down to breakfast and says, Mom, Dad, I, I had this dream. Now Bide grew up in a Christian home. His father was the national director, the director of this Christian, major Christian international organization in India. And he goes, I dreamt I went up to heaven and met my sister, and he tells them what she said, and by the way, she said, tell mom and dad, I forgive them. They go, what's that about? They burst out crying. They start sobbing. And they said, Bide, we, we never told you, but when we were young, we were, we were so poor, and we thought we could only afford one child, and, and we wanted a son. But that first pregnancy was a girl, and so we aborted her. Now they're Christians, they're national leaders, and they had carried that secret shame and guilt with them up until that day. And they had a breakthrough that day. It was as if the sister in heaven is filled to the brim with the love of God 
And, and she shares that with Biden. Now he is full to the brim, and he shares that love and forgiveness and grace with his mom and dad, and now they're filled to the brim with the love of God. And then he comes into my office, and it was, there was a presence about him, and it just filled the room. And isn't that what it's about at the end of the day? And we, you know, I was asked, I, I understand you guys are walking through the disciplines of a spiritual life and how to steward your, your spiritual well-being well and, and, and about prayer and about not forsaking the fellowship of, of the saints, about spending time in the Word. And, and so I've been asked to share about uh, the spiritual discipline of evangelism. So what does this dream have to do with evangelism? But isn't that kind of what evangelism is? It's just you fall in love with Jesus and all he's done in your life and for your life, the purpose and meaning and direction he gives you in life, how he lifts the burden from your shoulders of shame and guilt, how he heals you spiritually, emotionally, physically, and sets you on your, your path in life. And evangelism's just about sharing that with others. It's about sharing the things you love with others, right? So that's about my friend Bide, and I don't know if that story touches anyone. I just, it wasn't what I was planning on launching into this morning, but I go like, man, the first thing that that little, orf, that little baby girl that was aborted saw was the face of Jesus, and he just wrapped her up in his arms. Remember when David said, when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. In another place, it says, the Lord will hold me close. And uh, that's Psalms 27. And it's true when, when we're forsaken or betrayed or don't even like ourselves. How many have been there? And the Lord just takes you up in his arms and nestles you in right between his shoulders. And you can just lay back and receive that, that unconditional love. And I love being around young people who are in love. Uh, they're, they're so fun to watch, miserable to work with, because <laughs> they're so distracted. You know, they're just, they're just, they're caught up in just love, and they want to tell you all about him or her, and and that's kind of, you know, or when a brand new Christian whose heart has been touched by God, and they're just rabid for Jesus. You can't shut them up. You know, I was in the army, my roommate, my, another soldier led me to the Lord on my bunk. And I would go door to door in, in the barracks, telling the other soldiers about Jesus. I would wait until they were in the latrine and hand tracks under the door. You know, because they were avoiding me like the plague. So I had to catch them when they couldn't get away. And I go like, okay, I've got about 30 seconds to tell them about Jesus. That's all evangelism is. And, you know, it's, I, I don't really like the word evangelism. It sounds so religious and old-fashioned. Yeah, and maybe we should find some other word. It just means witness. It just means witness. You are bearing witness to what God has done in your life. And, and the more in touch we're just reflecting back on the things God has done from the first day you met him into present, and then share that with others. And, 
and that draws people in because everyone loves a love story, right? So that girl in the army, she was another one that kind of glowed in the dark and she was very prophetic and she would tell us things and it would happen in the next day or two and, and I could see there's, there was some power she had and I had no grid for it. I thought maybe she was psychic. And, um, but I read in her Bible one day when she was out of the barracks, and I think I mentioned this before, I go like the powers in that book she reads every night when she lays down on her bunk. And I just flipped it open and, and it just, uh, three words caught me, three words in red, it says, love your enemies. And I slammed it shut and I go like, I can't do that, I can't, I'm having a hard time even loving what few friends I have. I mean, I'm an introvert <laughs> and I was a mean one. And I'm in the army. I'm learning a hundred ways how to kill people. And it says, love your enemy. And it made, at first I go, that's ridiculous. But just the, her demeanor, her witness in life. And I go, oh, I'll put this to the test. And I began to torment her. Let's see how she does loving her enemy. And I harassed her and tormented her. We were roommates every day, week after week for five months. And she turned the other cheek and walked the extra mile and blessed and cursed not. And just this extravagant love. She lost her career over me. I sabotaged her work. And she still loved me. And, and it won me. I just, I thought that has to be supernatural. That tell, and during these five months, I would never listen to what she had to say about Jesus. I, wanted, I was tired of words. I wanted to see what was real in life. And she sat down on my bunk and just explained Christ to me about God so loved the world. So what about the, the discipline of evangelism? Sometimes you don't feel it. And I'm sure that gal didn't feel it sometimes, right? I don't think God always, or with Jesus on the cross, I don't think he was feeling warm and fuzzy on that day. And there's, so sometimes your loves run dry or you're just in a place, and, but there's still, you married people, do you always feel like it? You always feel loving and warm and fuzzy? No, but you don't break your covenant and stray away, do you? Or you parents out there, sometimes you're not just overflowing with warm, bubbly feelings about your children. Do you kick them to the curb? No, so there is a discipline, and we need to develop these disciplines in our life. So I want to first, if I, if I may, just define that word discipline, because when you say discipline to me, when, like when I grew up, discipline meant, it has something to do uh, with vigorously applying a belt to my bottom. I'm being disciplined, I'm like disciplining an offender. It, it meant punishment to me. So, and that is one meaning of discipline. I actually looked it up and it says, uh, to train one to act in accordance with rules, to drill as in a military discipline. And that still sounds stiff and starchy. But here's one, rigorous activity, exercise, or a regime that develops or improves a skill. I go, okay, I like that one. Or discipline as a verb, to bring to a state of order and obedience by training. And we all need dis discipline in our lives to, to develop our spiritual life, to mature in the practices uh, of our faith, uh, to, to establish it. 
whether it's in your prayer life or in time in the word or in fellowship or it just there's there's so many ways and we know the practical ways in our jobs or school or athletics discipline hones a skill and it develops us it causes our roots to go down deeper but then that word evangelism, I always kind of struggled with that too because it does sound kind of old and religious. When you say evangelism to me, I just get a picture of this old craggy guy wearing a, a sandwich board on the corner warning people of impending hellfire. You know, and, and um, so again, it just means witness. It means giving testimony. It means sharing a story about what God has done in your life. I love sushi, for example. And so I'm always trying to persuade my friends to go to a sushi restaurant. And, um, and I find a lot of people don't share that love. <laughs> they just don't. And, and I remember the first time, I mean, I'm you know, from LA and I didn't grow up with sushi either. I remember that friend that was trying to persuade me to just one bite, just taste it. Just taste it. And it was, I actually did on a dare and I lost the dare, so I, I kind of had to. And I remember putting that raw fish in my mouth and swirling it around and it slittered down my throat. And then I heard the angels say. <laughs> it was, and then I'm like, <laughs> just, yeah, where are the chopsticks? It was delicious. I love sushi. Any other sushi lovers out there? Guys, I'm coming back, I'm leaving, I'm coming back July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, and anyone out there wanna take me on a sushi date, especially if you're paying? Nathalie, there does my admin get my phone number, you can have it, call me up. I would love, it's been a long time, I'd love to have, I'd love to have some sushi. I love skydiving, any skydivers out there? Yeah. That's a little harder to persuade someone to, to share that. I love scuba diving. Any scuba divers? Okay, a couple. I love cats. Yeah. Cat lovers. <laughs> okay, guys, the point is if you don't get out there and share your loves, you'll be a skydiving, scuba diving alone at the sushi bar all by yourself with your cat. <laughs> Not even your cat is going to skydive or scuba dive with you. So it's, it's, it's all about finding ways to articulate or to demonstrate the loves in your life, to bring others into that. Now, when you get to heaven, when this time is all wrapped up and done, I mean, I want to see people there that I led to the Lord. Can you imagine being there and for all eternity you never meet anyone that you've led to the Lord, that everyone you knew in this life perished for all eternity? That would be tragic. Every neighbor, every classmate, every workmate you had, family members that you didn't share your love with. And why don't we? Because we're afraid because we don't like rejection, nobody does. I can't tell you how many friends I tried to drag to the sushi bar and they just would not. <laughs> you know, but the stakes are much higher. I, I can't, sorry, God, I, I, I can't believe I'm comparing God to sushi, but it's, 
It's important. I mean, it is so important. One sinner repents, all heaven stops to rejoice. Something, I'd rather see someone connect with the Lord, come to the Lord, than see someone raised from the dead or get healed. I mean, the healed person will get sick again. The one even rose from the dead will die again. But salvation is, that, that's eternal fruit. It's eternal. And part of it is we get so preoccupied, you know, with other things, we get too busy. And I had a, I grew up in a, a household where there was a lot of anger and violence and drugs and mayhem. And we had this lovely next door neighbor, this, this husband and wife and, and their kids, and they would have me come over and babysit their kids sometime. And uh, I remember one time I was, I was in high school and I was really struggling with algebra and uh, afraid I'm going to fail my test. And, and the dad sat down with me one day to help me with my homework. And I was so grateful. So I'm in and out of this person's house, these people's houses for many times. And then I graduate high school. I go into the army. I get saved. I come home. I'm full of Jesus. And I go next door to tell the Samuelsons about this Jesus I had discovered. And they welcome me in, and I start just sharing what, what's happened to me, and they go, oh, we know Jesus. We have, we're saved, we're Christians. And I go, oh, that's wonderful. How long have you known him? And they said, like, 30 years. And they never told me. And they could hear the fights at our house. They saw the distress in my life. They have this treasure. They'll tell me about algebra, but they won't tell me about Jesus. I was so angry, I started pounding the wall. They asked me to leave. <laughs> but how tragic is that? How tragic is that? There's another time. Oh, you know, you read the Bible, and sometimes consciously or unconsciously, you kind of put your place in, uh, you make yourself the hero of the story that David that slays Goliath or something. Or how about the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, and you have the priest on, that walks right by him on the other side, goes about his priestly duties. Or the Pharisee, they don't respond to this man that's beating, beaten and bleeding and dying in a street. So uh, this was a long time, about 23 years ago or so. I, I come home from overseas and Bethel starting a school of ministries when it first started. So I was on that initial staff. And we didn't know what we were doing. We were kind of figuring it, it out every day. Every day we would have staff meetings like, what are we doing tomorrow? We were figuring it out. And um, so I was very busy. And my mom lives in that town. So when I'm there, I rent a room from her. And I share a, we share a driveway with our neighbor. Our neighbor's name was Jim. He was a Korean War vet. And he was all scarred up from shrapnel. He got torn up in the war. He was elderly, sat in a rocking chair on his porch every day. And when I would come home from church, I'd drive by and, uh, on our shared driveway, and he would get up and run into the house. And this went on for about two months. And so I'm thinking, like, I must have said something or done something to offend Jim or hurt Jim. And so one time I pull into his yard, he gets up to run in the house, and I go, Jim, stop. And I've noticed this, that every time you, 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 you run into your house, have, have I hurt your feelings or something? And his face went beet red. 
And he says, no, Tracy, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I just run into the house to put my false teeth in and, and use some mouthwash because I think maybe one day you'll come visit me and I don't want you to smell the alcohol on my breath. He lived alone, he was elderly, and here I am going about my church stuff and teaching on evangelism in this school and I'm not loving my neighbor. I'm not sharing with, and his clock is ticking down. He was elderly, he was ill. And I started, I went in, I back to school and church the next day and I says, you've got to let me out of some of these meetings. I, 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 it's hypocrisy, I'm teaching on this, I'm not loving my own neighbor or the rest of my neighbors down the street. And again, I know well why sometimes we're reluctant to share even when we're on a high with Jesus and why it's hard to exercise the discipline sometimes because it's, you get rejected a lot. You get the door slammed in your face, you get people that withdraw from you. It's worth it. I am so grateful for Shirelia, that soldier who bore with me and, and kept reaching out. And she had no clue the day before that I was even close to getting saved. And honestly, I was seeking. I believed there was a God or something out there. I just didn't know the way in. And she bore with me. And, and, and you know what? Love is never wasted. Sometimes you think you share or you give or you're generous or you're kind and it's not, they don't respond to it. It's not wasted. Jesus loved Judas even up to the end till that last night at the Last Supper. He's in a place of honor sitting next to Jesus, close enough for Jesus to put a morsel in his mouth and when he, he's bringing the soldiers to Gethsemane and kisses and betrays him with a kiss, I mean, I would have slapped him down and said, you dirty, rotten traitor, you're going to hell for this one. <laughs> but that's me. Remember what Jesus said? He said, friend, you betray me with a kiss. He called him friend. Knowing he's the son of perdition, that he is remorseful but unrepentant. Love's never wasted. Maybe, it's, maybe that was Judas' only chance in all eternity, those three years with Jesus, to experience love and acceptance and kindness and grace. We don't know. But what I know now is you can never be too kind or too gracious or too forgiving. Can you imagine... You know, we all, uh, well, I haven't seen one here, but I I'm, haven't been around Raleigh much, but where I'm from, there are lots of street people on every corner. There are gangs of street people, beggars on the street. And you drive by and you go, well, God, shall I give something to that person or not? And sometimes God just shows you or tells you what to say or what to do. What about those many times he doesn't? I go, well, I'm not sure, but if I'm going to make a mistake, I want to make a generous mistake. I want to make a loving mistake. I, want, I, I, I know when I get to heaven, when, well, when I'm, that day when I'm face to face with Jesus, he's not going to say, what were you thinking? You helped too many orphans and widows in distress. Uh, you fed too many hungry. No, he'll never say it. You were too forgiving. Can you imagine? Too gracious, too merciful. 
If you're going to err, err on that side. There are plenty of stories in the scripture where Jesus emphasizes and celebrates extravagant love. The Mary with the, uh, the vial of perfume, the ointment that she pours out. The woman who washes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. The widow's might. You know, there's plenty of stories where he celebrates extravagance. In fact, the alabaster vial, Jesus was so touched by that. And the Pharisees, I mean, the, the, not the Pharisees, the disciples criticized her for wasting that on Jesus. He says, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing for me. She's anointed me for my burial. He said, wherever the gospel goes, this story will go with it. He didn't say that of healing the sick or casting out demons or or raising the dead. But of that story of extravagant love, he goes, this will accompany the gospel because that is the good news, God's great love for us. And then Jesus, he lavishes it upon us and he says, freely, freely you have received. Freely give. And sometimes we freely receive, but we're not too good at the giving part. And I personally would just really struggle with that day when I'm standing before Jesus and there's my neighbor or my classmate or my workmate that never heard the gospel. And they turn to me and say, like, you knew and you didn't tell me? Like my neighbors kind of neglected to tell me. They could have saved me so much time and heartache and I was searching, I was wide open. You don't know, you think people are closed, but you might be surprised, or maybe they are testing you to see, is, is this real? You don't know, it's just whatever it is that God gives, that freely gives you, share it with someone else. Drag them to the sushi bar. <laughs> That's all I have to share with you this morning. I just, I want to encourage you and, and our walk with the Lord, it's up, it's down. You know, it, it's a rushing river one day and then it's, it goes a little dry sometimes and we have to stir up the gifts within us and stir up and, and remember, remember in the Old Testament, God said, put stones of remembrance, pile up stones so that even your children, and sometimes it's even us, like, oh yeah, I, re- I forgot all about, I, can- I hadn't thought of that in years, that, that young man that cut his foot in half. And it wasn't just him that's impacted when God touches him and heals him. His whole family, his whole community is impacted. And like a wave, it comes in and ripples through a whole community. But the loneliest communities I see are usually here in America because of our prosperity and our blessing and our, which isolates us somewhat. I don't know anything that isolates people more than wealth because then we get behind closed walls and we have to guard it and insure it and protect it and we wall people out who want a bite of it. And education, and here you live in a, a what, three universities right around here? And the higher, like, I grew up poor, I was an illiterate teenager, but the more educated I got, the more I just wanted to hang out with people like me that had the same interest or education level or social level, and I began 
to disconnect with all those masses of people that I was once a part of. So what are the things that identify, what is, holding, what is it that holds you back from reaching out and sharing what you've got, what you have freely received, how God has blessed you? So I don't know, Steve, where do we go from here? How do we, I tell you what, why don't you all just take a moment and think of that person, that neighbor, that family member that you haven't shared with for 10 years because of family stuff or that classmate. Think of that one person. Just get a picture of their face in your mind. Says, so Lord, how do we, would you give us a word of knowledge about the issue of their heart? Would you trust us with the keys of their heart? How, help us to find our way into their life to express your love either with our words and our testimony or an act of service or that quality time or some way that we can reach out beyond ourselves and just share a little of all that you've done in our life with them. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would put that person on our heart every day and that we would lay a foundation of prayer and intentionality to, to draw them closer to you. In Jesus' name.